Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who almost makes the drums an instrument. Here is the captain. I'm going to put my nutsack on your drum set. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very excited to be featuring Honest Trav's Dive Bar Ale by the good folks over at Saucony Creek Brewing Company. We've talked about it before, beer can art, and this tall can is dressed to the nines, my friends. On the can, we have what I believe to be the captain, the garage captain, with the beard, the sunglasses, and the captain's hat, even a little bling on the can. That's Honest Trav's Dive Bar Ale. It's an ale brewed with wheat, coriander, and orange peel garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. And we would like to give a shout out and a very big Ron Swanson please and thank you to Kat in Harvey's Lake, Pennsylvania. And a big shout out to Rhonda in Ketchhog, New York. Here we have a cheers to Lane in Coloma, Wisconsin. And we also have Alex, a Memphian living in Denver, Colorado. And a big we like your jib to Christine and Shannon living in Las Vegas. Next, we have a big cheers to Donna Cross. And last but certainly not least, we have Russell, Lauren, and Tom, big fans in the little state of Rhode Island. Everyone we just mentioned, well, they went to truecrimegarage.com and contributed to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run. Excited to announce that the band, the Tan Sedan, shirts are back in stock with a new color. So check those out at the store page. And for all of our old episodes, check us out everywhere on the Stitcher app, on Sirius XM app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And also check out our bonus show, called off the record and that's on stitcher premium and that is enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime Legendary profiler Roy Hazelwood spent 22 years with the FBI, 16 of them in the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit. He was truly an expert when it came to criminal behavior and understanding why they do what they do. In his book, Dark Dreams, Mr. Hazelwood explains the criminal mind as he sees it. In one chapter, he explains that it would surprise most people that in his experience, the two types of sexual offenders 
with the most characteristics in common are the sexual sadists and pedophiles. He says most pedophiles are not physically violent, while the sexual sadist is very likely to be so. But there are striking similarities. Hazelwood offers some clarification before diving into the more than one dozen shared characteristics of these two types of monsters. Pedophiles and child molesters are terms that are often used interchangeably. However, they are quite different. Pedophile in psychiatric usage describes an individual who is preferentially attracted sexually to a prepubescent child, generally 13 years of age or less. However, a pedophile does not become a criminal until he molests a child. It is entirely possible for the pedophile to act out his sexual preferences only in his mind or with a consenting adult or a paid partner who plays the role of a child. This is not criminal behavior. A child molester is a legal term used to describe any person who sexually molests a child, which most definitely is criminal behavior. All child molesters are criminals, and a pedophile who acts out against a child consequently is a child molester. Here is how he says the pedophile and the sexual sadist are alike. Both are ritualistic sexual criminals. They have highly developed fantasy lives and carry out their crimes according to a script. Both are highly motivated. Their crimes give them deep satisfaction and they invest great amounts of time, money, and energy to their criminal behavior. Neither experiences remorse or guilt. The sexual sadist believes that his victims deserve to suffer. The pedophile doesn't believe he's caused harm to the child. Both are highly practiced at rationalizing their behavior and consequently are poorly motivated to change. Both recognize that society abominates them and they take steps to study their deviant desires and behaviors to better understand them and to evade arrest. They possess average or better intelligence and social skills. They mesh well in society. Friends and associates are surprised and supportive of them when they are identified. Their rate of recidivism is much greater than other offenders. They tend to be model prisoners and consequently are released more quickly and having learned nothing from their punishment quickly begin practicing sexual deviance again. Both are highly narcissistic. Most sexual criminals slow down with age. There is no known burnout age for these two offenders. Unless stopped, such men will offend well into their 60s or 70s. They have greater numbers of victims than other sexual offenders. Once these men begin to act out criminally, they will assault until they are caught. Criminal sexual sadists pose one of law enforcement's greatest challenges. Though rare, they are intelligent men who invest great amounts of time in planning their crimes, and they easily blend into society because they look like us. John Simonis, better known as the Ski Mask Rapist, told Roy Hazelwood and Ken Lanning, also of the BSU, quote, there are a lot of steps you can take to help eliminate the average criminal who is just spontaneous and reckless and careless. But if somebody wants somebody bad enough, it's nearly impossible to prevent. They could have the best security in the world. They could have guards and dogs and everything else. But if you have the time and the patience, the opportunity is going to arise when you can hit someone. This is is True Crime Garage. On Tuesday, May 7th, 1963, the Windsor Star newspaper reported the following. Police and volunteers continue to search for two boys last seen near the Plains of Abraham. From my understanding, Captain, this is a large park on the heights of Quebec City. The two boys are young, a little younger than the more typical ages of runaways. The two boys that we are talking about here were together that day at the park, and the two boys are friends. This is Alan Carrier 
age 10, and Michael Morell, age 8. These two youngsters were last seen leaving the plains on Grand Alley. That's a major road there. The boys were seen leaving with some empty beer and soda bottles that they had collected on that day, which they evidently intended to sell. Soldiers and about 200 volunteers scoured the area but found no sign of the boys nor any clues as to where they may have gone off to. Now, this was a little tricky to track down. In fact, the earliest report is from a little more than 36 hours after they were missing and doesn't really offer much insight on what the immediate suspicions were in the case of these two. But we can make some inferences based on other cases we have covered, and those would be one, because it's two kids together. The first thought might be that they did in fact run away, or maybe even more likely wandered off together and got lost. Secondly, of course, you would always have to be worried that maybe one or both got hurt, and again, they are very young, so the concern level and the threat level would be high. So the two were last seen on that Sunday, May 5th. So by the time we see this report that came out on Tuesday, giving that time passing and the searches for the two that were going on immediately after they reported missing, where once you may have not have been so sure what happened with the two youngsters, now you are starting to suspect the very worst. And let's compound that fear with the knowledge that it was discovered that another boy went missing and there was less information about that boy. This is a boy who was traveling by himself, a little older than these two boys, and he was still missing as well from that same general area. Yeah, so then the community is probably going to start thinking that they possibly could be connected. Yeah, what we have here in the first case, Captain, is a boy named Guy Luckenwick. He was age 12, who was visiting Quebec City. He disappeared on April 20th. So this is like about two weeks before these other two boys went missing. The boy was traveling to Quebec City, which he did so each week for a music lesson. Guy played the clarinet. They could not pinpoint exactly when he went missing, but they did know that he made it to the lesson, finished the lesson, and then left on foot afterwards. But he never made it home. Searches by police for this boy, too, have been in vain. And because the amount of time that expired, any theory or suspicion that a ransom may have figured into this boy's disappearance had been discarded by this time. Well, and he has an item with him. I'm uh, I'm assuming he's taken his own instrument to the lesson, but it's also not a large instrument. It's not like he has a saxophone or something with him. So clarinet could be pretty easily discarded by a, a predator. And we say ransom here, and I know to most of our listeners, they're thinking, oh, that's very theatrical. That's very much like the movies. But we have to keep in mind that our case, our story today, takes place back in the early 60s. And actually, kidnapping for ransom was much, much more common than it is today. Mm -hmm. So much so that poor criminals often saw kidnapping as a as their meal ticket, as their lottery ticket, so to speak. But you have to factor in some other things here. None of these families are wealthy families. Right. You know, often when we have someone that is kidnapped for ransom, you can't squeeze blood out of a rusty nail. You actually have to go after somebody that has some money. And, you know, we talk about the Lindbergh kidnapping for ransom considered to be one of the, at one time, the the crime of the 20th century. Right. That's a prime example. And in fact, that happened a lot. So much so that when looking into this particular story, I was running into plenty of stories of a case that was active about this same time where you have Frank Sinatra Jr. kidnapped, where they're looking for a ransom of $240,000 for his safe return. Now, thankfully, he was returned safely, but it was so much more common back then. And what's interesting to me here, Captain, is that even in the 70s and 80s, where we started to see an uptick of a crime trend that was changing, of abducting children for 
sexual purposes. Right. That they always were commenting that, you know, we've set up a line at the family's home so that if a ransom comes in, we're ready to receive it to get the instructions to deliver this money and, and get this kid safely back. And where in the, the, because of what was going on in the country, in fact, in the thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties, ransom, very common seventies and eighties that went away. I'm guessing the penalty for kidnapping went up as it became more popular, but also what I find super interesting, just back to the, the Frank Sinatra jr. Thing is, so you're going to kidnap the, one of the most famous people in the world's kids to get a ransom, but that famous person is also connected to the most powerful organization in the world, the mob. doesn't seem like the smartest idea. Yeah, but you also have to understand that kidnapping was very popular because there was a much higher percentage of poor people in our country back then, so people were more desperate. Back then, I'm just saying they, you have to be very desperate to, to go against the mob. So there were rumors swirling in this area about a maniac possibly on the loose and that he's snatching up little boys. And certainly even beyond rumor, that seems to be the shared feelings of the parents in this community. In fact, a, a newspaper snippet says that at the time, police suspected, quote, that a sex maniac may have killed the three missing boys because not a trace of them had been found despite an intensive search effort. Now, unfortunately, things are going to get worse before they get better. Because on May 29th, in that edition of the Gazette, a newspaper out of Montreal, Quebec, they featured an article about another missing boy. The article was titled, fourth boy disappears in Quebec and goes on to say the disappearance of a fourth youngster in Quebec city in just a little more than a month was announced by police and the deputy chief termed the situation disquieting. He said now police are wondering whether the boys had been the victims of a maniac. The latest boy to go missing is Perry Marquis, age 13. Perry was last seen on Sunday, May 25th in the afternoon, leaving a beach on the outskirts of the city. Right. This is the Wolf's Cove area of the St. Lawrence River. Pierre's mother said that Pierre went to Sunday Mass on that day. He came home for lunch, and then he went to meet his cousin at Wolf's Cove to go swimming. The cousin confirmed that Pierre not only made it to the swimming meetup, at Wolf's Cove, but also safely left afterward. Of course, you hear river and a possibility of drowning is maybe one of the first thoughts. However, in this case, of course, we said there is that sighting of him leaving the the swimming hole on that day. It kind of reminds you of the Stephen King novel, It and Derry, Maine, how a group of kids just start going missing and there's no explanation and no, no trace of them. Yeah, and that's one thing that's interesting in this case, and I liken it to the Oakland County child killer case, where it seems to be that the community and the parents seem to be fully aware of what's going on, and maybe a lot of the children were not. Right. Because, you know, news traveled different back then. And if you weren't dialed in, most kids aren't paying attention to the news especially younger kids, if your parents are not informing you, if your teachers are not informing you, you're just unaware. Mm -hmm. And so with the Oakland County case, one thing that is bizarre there is Timothy King, who unfortunately was snatched up and then later found dead. The One of the saddest parts of that whole story is that just a day or two before his parents sat him down and fully explained to him what was going on in their area at the time. And it's still the threat still led to his demise. Mm -hmm. Now, in that case, there is a lot of suspicion that whoever was killing those kids was posing as an authority figure and used that fake persona to abduct the children. Well, it's hard to imagine how you'd react as a child knowing that these kids just went missing and, and there's no answers, no clues. 
And Pierre was even spotted walking in the direction, indicating that he was likely on his way back home by another individual. Now, just to be safe, though, Captain, they did, in fact, search the waters in this area. Yeah. And they also searched the waters around the other two disappearance cases as well. Three victims, two disappearances earlier. All of these searches are turning up nothing. There's nothing in the water. There's nothing on land, nothing on the streets that they can find that are giving them any types of leads at all. So, of course, this is all super scary stuff. But then look at the similarities in all of these missing persons cases. That, to me, heightens the the fear factor level for me, because one, they, they took place in just a short time span of about 40 days. Right. Four kids, three separate incidents, and 40 days where we got missing kids. All went missing on a weekend day. All four boys disappeared between the hours of 2 and 3 p.m., or believed to have disappeared between those hours. Three of them were last seen in the same general neighborhood. The carrier kid and the morale boy were on the Plains of Abraham. Again, a huge park that overlooks the St. Lawrence River. And then Pierre Marquis, the last to disappear, is believed to have started on his way home and to have cut through that same park, the Plains of Abraham, from the beach. Yeah, well, it's also a little scarier, too, when you when you realize the monster's not coming out at night. The monster's working w- within the day. Right, and that's where us, we can sit here and easily go, not only do we think it's connected because this is happening so fast within a 40-day time span, mm-hmm. but also look at those similarities. It's it's all very much the same MO, things going down about the same time on weekends within the same hours, as you said, in broad daylight. Also a higher threat level of a predator because this predator has no problem going after one individual or multiple individuals at the same time. Well, and Guy Luckenwick, we're talking about the area where all went missing. He was the first to go missing, but was last seen on St. Denis or St. Dennis Street, which is some distance away from the other cases. But again, it is the same general area of Quebec City. Now, not that there was not a thorough investigation and not that the police didn't do everything possible, but really other than the where and when each boy was last seen, there really was not much in the way of investigating to this case. You know, they're really just simply looking for the physical boys themselves. Mm -hmm. They had nothing to lead them to what may have happened to them or or who may have taken them. Well, again, the last known crime scene we have, if you want to call it a crime scene, is the last eyewitnesses of these individuals because we don't have some area where where all these items from the boys were found and that there possibly was a struggle or anything. It's almost like all four boys just poof, disappeared. Right. They really didn't have any leads. If the boys were, in fact, abducted, this is not a situation where anyone witnessed an abduction, heard a child scream, or spotted a suspicious tan sedan or creepy camper. And, of course, this is a little more than five decades before the big ban the van movement that continues to save lives to this day. And if police had any leads at all, well, they were looked at and fairly quickly determined to be dead ends that never produced any additional leads. That is what it was like for most of the 40 days or so that these four boys ages 8 to 13 were missing. This until a concerned parent came forward with some very interesting information. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL 
is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. Tall cans in the air to everyone out there. A.K.A. the goat. Bah. Let's get into this uh, interesting story that comes forward, brought by, again, a concerned parent to police. This is 45-year-old Edward Allette. He went to the police with this following story concerning his 14-year-old son, who fortunately was safe and sound. He told police that on May 25th, his son, 14 years of age, was at Quebec City's very busy central bus station when a man approached him. The boy lost a dime in a soft drink machine and was fighting with the machine to either get his soda or get his dime back. The man offered to buy the boy a drink. The kid accepted. Then the man said, if you like money so much, or if you are in need of more money, I could offer you a job. At some point in this conversation, it sounds like it may have been a fairly lengthy one. The man showed the kid a bank book with a balance of $343. That's a lot of sodas at a dime a pop. The man told the boy something to the effect of, I have a great deal of money or I have a lot of money and you can make a few dollars. Heck, when you're a teenager and somebody has a $50 bill or a $100 bill, you think they're rich. Mm -hmm. Well, and keep in mind the equivalent of what they were seeking in the Frank Sinatra Jr. ransom, Mm $240,000, that would be like $2 million today. So it's uh, this certainly, like you pointed out, would seem like a great deal of money to a youngster back then. And then, but you have to take this a step further and go, well, this is just a bank book. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that this guy's got any real money at all. Now the man told the boy that he could offer him a ride and he wanted to take him back to what he referred to as his suburban home. Mm. This boy very smartly refused the ride later he would say that the man frightened him so instead he gave the man his address and phone number and told the man that he could talk to him tomorrow so the kid goes home and he tells his parents what went down at the bus station about being approached by this man who said he had money right offered some kind of job and then this guy wants to take me back to his house bought me a coke yeah, and I wonder if in this story, if the man who, you know, if he is a dangerous man, he's obviously using a ruse to try to trick this youngster. Well, but not not necessarily because the youngster is having a problem, right? His The machine either took his money, so this guy comes up and goes, hey, I'll buy the soda for you. That's not out of the realm. That That's not a ruse, right? That is just... Uh, adult walking by there used to be a soda machine where i taught lessons there's plenty of times where kids would go by and they'd be pushing the button i go what are you doing oh the the machine took my money i go well here let me buy you a pop that's not a ruse to you know to try to kidnap the kid i was just trying to be a nice person to that kid so then they get to talking while i have this job come back to right there you go you know that's what i'm talking about the, if this if this guy, in fact, is looking to pick up this kid, if he is a danger, the ruse is offering him a job. Right. And I'm what I'm pointing out is I'm wondering if in this conversation, we know that the boy said he exchanged, his, he gave his phone number and he gave his address. Mm-hmm. When the man then says, offers to drive him back to his quote unquote suburban home, I'm wondering if this guy was smart enough to make it sound like they both lived in the same general area to kind of put the boy at ease. Well, I'm heading home anyway. Why don't you just join me in my car Right. back to my suburban home? But also, again, this uh, creep could live downtown, but use use the term suburb, um, suburban home. So, again, if the kid doesn't go with him, he is now telling everybody, well, he said he lived in the suburbs. Correct. Armed with this information, the parents are going to set up a little sting operation of their own. So the man called the house, and the parents had the boy answer the phone when the man called the next day. Mm -hmm. 
So a meeting time and place were set up for the boy to meet the man. Well, what happens is Edward Allett drove his son to this meeting. Once there, Edward confronted the man, demanding to know why and what the man wanted with his 14-year-old son. The man laughed and told the father that it was the boy's idea that the two were to hang out together, saying that the boy wanted to go to the circus, that he wanted someone to take him to the circus, and this man said that he would do so. So Edward then tells the man, there are three boys missing right now, and I'm not letting my son out of my sight. While there, Edward wrote down the license plate number on the man's vehicle, and then he gives this information to the police, who promptly worked very hard to track down this vehicle. The man, fortunately, was located and arrested, but unfortunately, this was on May 27th. This would be the day after Pierre Marquis was reported missing. Remember, he was number four to go missing, and he went missing on May 26th. Right. So the man they arrested, who was according to this man and his son trying to meet up and make some kind of work arrangements with a 14-year-old boy, this was Leopold Dion. Police very quickly realized that considering all involved, they were very likely in for some really, really bad news. And that's because not only did Leopold have a lengthy police record, but he had a very dark and violent past. Can you get into that a little bit? Yes. Leopold Dion had been arrested multiple times for multiple charges. Here's some uh, detailed background information on this guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was uh, Leopold Dion of Quebec City contracted tuberculosis as an infant, and he spent most of his first 11 years of life in an institution run by nuns. His father and mother, they would visit him on a weekly basis. His father was a Canadian Army sergeant. Mm. When he was cured of this illness, he was then released from the institution. So after 11 long years of living in an institution for the first years of his life, he is finally sent home. Now, once he is there, he doesn't walk into a happy home because just four days later, his mother and father separated. And because of this split, they placed him in an orphanage. Yeah, it makes <laughs> would have to make you wonder as a kid. My parents t- were together this whole time. I come home, four days later, they get a divorce. Yeah, so that's the unfortunate childhood of Leopold Dion. But what it's going to lead to is that violent past that we referenced. Mm-hmm. In 1937, at the age of 17, Leopold was charged with gross indecency and sentenced to four months in jail. Two years later, in 1939, he was charged with attempted murder of a young woman, but was acquitted due to the lack of evidence. When he was 20 years old, he was convicted of rape and attempted murder. So now we have this guy again having this ruse to have some kind of relationship, some kind of connection with this kid. And now we know that he likes to whip out his dinghy. He now has an attempted murder charge and then uh, attempted murder charge and a rape charge against him. So when he is 20, he is then convicted of rape and attempted murder. Wow. So, you know, I know he's acquitted for the first charges based off of a lack of evidence but what you're seeing here is he's a possible reoffender who is very violent and his crimes seem to be sexually based now for this conviction leopold was sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommendation that he never never be paroled and this shows you how far we are going back here in time and how old school this is. But not only did he receive that life imprisonment conviction right. and sentence, but he also received plus 10 lashes. Oh, so they would like hit him with a cane or. Yeah, or whip, whip him or something of that nature. You know, we're going to lock you up for life, but before we do so, we're going to have to 
beat you up pretty good. Well, I mean, look, you have you're going to have some issues anyways if you're going to be isolated for that long. You have really no 11 years. That's the amount that he's going to be underdeveloped as far as society is concerned. That's going to be that's a big gap to try to make up. And and when you look at a picture of him, he looks pretty normal. Seems to be a non-threatening individual. Maybe maybe from the side profile that he he lo- he looks maybe a little meaner or scarier from the side profile. I think that in lies like the issue with this type of case. And when you hear when you're let's say that the ch- the children knew that kids were going missing, and they're hearing the rumors from their parents and from the community that there's a sex maniac on the loose, right? Who's snatching up children? Well. A child's mind will assume that they can see, that they would be able to identify this monster when they see him. Right. And so when you have this guy, Leopold Dion, who he looks like the a regular guy, the average Joe, he puts together this persona that he has a job or at least something to offer these children. Mm-hmm. And because he looks normal and he has a car and he dresses normal, they're somewhat easily tricked. Now, they're tricked into just joining him for maybe a ride or or a helping hand. But it's again, it goes back to the idea of a sex maniac is on the loose. These kids think that they would be able to spot that somehow. And as Roy Hazelwood pointed out in in our trailer earlier today from his great book, The Dark Dreams, he says... You know, it's always a shock to society when these people are outed or when they're found out because they're usually respected people in the community or they fit into the community, at least visually, and the fake persona that they put out there. And they're also hard to detect because they look like you and I. Well, also, this is the 60s, and I didn't obviously grow up in the 60s, but even in the 80s. If you're over at somebody's, you're over at your friend's house or something and their parents told you to do something, you did it. You you were taught to obey adults. You were you were taught, taught that adults are in charge and you are not. So that becomes a, a tricky issue when you're trying to tell your kids, hey, look, you got to watch out because there's somebody that's taking kids away from their homes, away from their families, but at the same time, these kids are told over and over, you listen to adults, you speak when spoken to, certain things like that, which were more prevalent in in the 60s than they obviously are now. Mm-hmm. Now people are saying, hey, if you see a stranger, I don't I don't care how old they are or they're not your, your boss, but you'd have these, you'd even have situations where kid might get in trouble um, at somebody's house and, and maybe even get uh, spanked by the other parents and that was more commonplace Mm -hmm. so when you have somebody that kind of looks like their friend's dad or or a dad for all we know the guy's driving up to these people going hey you're not supposed to be walking on this street you're not supposed to be walking alone get in the car i'll drive you home yeah that's correct and so when he is 20 years old he's incarcerated for life imprisonment for this very violent crime. And he was sent off to Montreal's infamous St. Vincent de Paul penitentiary. While there, he was considered to be a model prisoner. However, during his stay, while they were able to confine him, they were never able to treat any of his mental, emotional, and sexual issues. Records show that there was one part-time psychologist working at this penitentiary during the entire 16 to 17 years that he stayed there. Because of his good behavior, and despite the judge's recommendation that he never, ever be paroled, Leopold Dion was in fact paroled in 1956. But he wasn't out too long before he was added again because just 40 days later, four zero days later, he was once again charged and convicted of gross indecency and returned to prison. Right, but, but how did he get let out in the first place? He got paroled. 
Well, maybe we need to stop calling these sentences life sentences if they're if they're only a couple years. You know, like come on, give me a break. It's either life or it's not life. And 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 then to have a individual like this with with such a heinous crime to even have the possibility of early parole. That so he spent two more years at that St. Vincent de Paul Penitentiary before being transferred to the Kingston Penitentiary. This would be Leopold's first chance to truly receive some psychiatric help. Starting in 1962, he would meet with the prison psychiatrist once a month, and somehow he managed to be paroled once again. Well, yeah, and I, and I don't get that with the two violent crimes. One, well, actually three violent crimes. we got two attempted murders, basically, and then we have a rape charge. Um, you could throw away the the him, him showing his dinghy to anybody. Uh, I don't know if that matters, but those violent crimes, there's no way he, sh- he should have been paroled. Well, and gross indecency is kind of a blanket charge. It's uh, We don't always know exactly what that charge means. I'm going to assume it's his dinghy out. That he's guilty of. Mm. It's like back in the day, they would charge you with gross indecency. They would charge you with uh, sodomy. They could charge you with, in certain crimes, larceny. But that that usually meant a whole wide array of possibilities. Whereas today, you see at least here in the States, the United States, we often have charges that, that even sound very specific to the point where you hear what someone's charged with. You, you have a pretty good idea of what it is that they did. Yeah. I mean, some of them get confusing. Uh, You know, I, I don't like the, the charges where, um, you know, I've had a friend where he's considered a sex offender because he, was drunk and he was peeing by a school. The school wasn't operating at the time. It was at night, uh, but ends up getting further charges because he was basically exposed because he was peeing um, by a school. Uh, I don't really think that makes a lot of sense. But so, uh, so now we have four kids that went missing. I do, I do want to address that for a second. I don't necessarily fully agree with that charge, I guess, I, and I don't know the complete situation. My argument has always been in regards to that, that the, what, the reason why you charge someone in that manner is because if you didn't, then now that becomes the excuse right. that is accepted world, you know, across the board that, oh, anybody can just whip it out wherever they want, and you just claim, oh, I was urinating, so it's okay. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So so we have four four boys missing, all roughly around the same age, all roughly in the same area. We have now this guy, Leopold, that has basically, we, we weren't for sure if there was a ruse to get this kid alone, but now we know because they they went and confronted him and now we know that this guy has a a really bad past and this guy definitely has to be on the suspect list for these four missing boys that's exactly right so what you have here is leopold dion was paroled in september of 1962 these boys well they start to go missing in late april and then in may of 1963 So police have this complaint from this man about Leopold trying to pick up his son, but really in regards to the actual four missing boys themselves, they really do not have a lot connecting Leopold to their disappearances. Now, there are several really smart things going on on the side of law enforcement at this time. One, it doesn't take a seasoned investigator to look at this guy, Leopold Dion, and go, okay. He has a rather violent past that involves rape and attempted murder. Heck, he raped and stabbed a school teacher and left her for dead. So really, the only reason he didn't get charged with murder, likely first-degree murder, is that the poor woman survived the attack. Yeah, but we only have charges with Leopold against females, not young boys. The judge then recommends a life sentence for Dion. 
the judge gave a strong recommendation that he never be released. So if we are concerned that like the paper said that the boys may be victims of a maniac, well, this might be the maniac that we are looking for. Secondly, we have a complaint that he may have been trying to pick up a boy. Oh, and his gross indecency conviction, the victim there was an underage boy. Now, presto changeo, this guy that we just picked up is our number one suspect. So what was really smart on the end of law enforcement is that Leopold is actually arrested and charged with a parole violation. So they can simply hold him until he is adjudicated for those charges. So LD Leopold Dion, you ain't going anywhere until we sort this out. So talk or waste away until your trial when and where you will be found guilty of said parole violation and sent back to prison. And regardless how this missing four boys situation shakes out, you might still be in prison for the rest of your days. Thank you, friends, for joining us here in the garage. Join us back tomorrow. So much more to get to. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 